0: 7,496 miles. 7,496 miles. That's the distance between Jerusalem and Buckeye. (laughs) Jerusalem and Buckeye. So I'd like you to think about that distance, 7,496 miles, because I'd like you to think about how the Word of God... Specifically, the good news about Jesus got from there to here. Of course, in addition to the geographical distance I just mentioned, we know there is a chronological distance, right? Almost 20 centuries have elapsed since the days of Jesus and his apostles, during which, that, during which the time, this time, the gospel message has made its way to us. 20 centuries. It has made its way to us in the hearts and on the lips of countless individuals over 20 centuries. And on top of the geographical distance, on top of the chronological distance, there is the, what we could call the linguistical distance. From Aramaic and Greek, this good news, when we think about those who have verbalized it over those 20 centuries, this good news has journeyed through many languages down through the centuries. Isn't that amazing to think about that? When we think about how the word of God got from there to here, we should be astonished. I think this same theme is present in our study passage this morning. So if you haven't already, turn to Acts chapter 8, the book of Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 26 through 40 this morning. This book's full traditional title, as you probably know, is the Acts of the Apostles. But as we talked about last time, given the emphasis 56 times... Uh, men- the mention of the Holy Spirit in this book, we could really call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to see that emphasis again this morning. We know, of course, you know, if you are reading through our reading plan with us, and that's part of kind of our heartbeat as a church, of just moving together through God's word, the New Testament in one year. Uh, this passage is from, was from this this past Thursday, as we were reading Acts chapter 8. So we're looking specifically at verses 26 through 40. Let me go ahead and read probably a story that most of you are familiar with. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert Place. Keep that in mind. Why does he mention that? Keep it in mind. This is a desert place. And he rose, Philip rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. As is still true today, even then, there were Jews in Ethiopia, or what we would call Cush or Nubia at that time.
1: So here it is,
0: right? Even still today. Many of them had been, as a side note, many of these Jews were moved in the 20th century to the state of Israel. They were airlifted through three or four different airlifts to be brought to the state of Israel from Ethiopia. So fascinating. 2,000 years ago, we have this same man, a Jew from Ethiopia, going to worship in Jerusalem. He's reading the prophet Isaiah, verse 28. Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot." So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he, this man, said, how can, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter." And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And this official, this eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water in a desert place. (laughs) They came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And this man went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Wow, I love that story. I could keep reading that story. It it never gets old for me, that that one. Uh, There's no doubt this is an amazing story, right? There's no doubt this is an amazing story for so many different reasons. But if your desire, if our desire this morning is to discover what God wants to say to us today through this ancient account, Then the first thing that we need to do is get in a trance and say, God, what do you have for me today? I'm testing you. I'm testing you, right? Some of you are going, no, that's not what we do, Pastor Bryce. That's not right. The first thing that we need to do if we want to hear from God this morning, we need to make sure we understand why this writer, Luke, has included this account in his ancient record of the early church. That has to do with the author's intention. The human author's intention that God chose to use. So everything we know about the early church from both biblical and non-biblical writers, the first couple centuries of the church, that leads us to believe that Luke could have included hundreds of stories if he wanted to. He, had to, he could choose from hundreds of stories, really, about any number of tens of thousands of individuals who were impacted by the Christian message. But he didn't. He chose to highlight particular stories. So we should ask, why? Why this story? Uh, Why did he choose it? Well, how does it fit into what he's written here? Now, we certainly believe that God was at work in all of this to guide and to guard so that his word would be breathed out in writings like these. We believe that to be the case. But that does not change the fact. The doctrine of inspiration does not change the fact. In fact, it includes the reality that God chose human authors to write out his word. And he chose Luke as a writer, as an historian. He chose him to be a vessel for his work, to be used as this. So let's talk about three reasons that Luke included this first, this, sorry, this account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Take a look at this first reason here. The first reason, first and foremost reason that Luke included this story was to demonstrate that the growth happening was a result of God opening doors for the Word. Let me say that again. Why did Luke include this story in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40? He did so because he wanted to demonstrate that the growth happening was a result of God opening doors for the word. The book of Acts includes seven summary statements. Some of these you've already read as you've been reading through our uh, Bible reading plan. Uh, We'll put those up on the screen for you, these seven summary statements scattered throughout the book that highlight the growth of the Christian faith. Now, what's important for us this morning, what's important for us to note, is that four out of the seven, these summary statements, four out of the seven, explicitly mention the ongoing spread of the Word of God. Take a look. We read in chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. And again in chapter 12, verse 4, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Yet again in chapter 19, verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And at the end of the book, in chapter 28, verses 30 through 31, we read these beautiful, powerful closing words. Paul lived there two whole years at his expense and welcomed all who came to him, this is in Rome, proclaiming the kingdom of God to all who came to him, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying that the word of God through Paul's ministry continued to increase and multiply. He's just saying it a different way. No barriers, no hindrance. God was at work. And we see this four out of the seven summary statements in Acts make this perfectly clear. Episode after episode in the book of Acts highlights how God was at work to open doors for the proclamation of the good news about Jesus. And, by the way, that opening doors language that I'm using that comes straight from the apostle paul who used that imagery to describe the excellent opportunities he was presented with for effective gospel ministry 1 corinthians 16:9 2 corinthians chapter 2 verse 12 and colossians chapter 4 verse 3 an open door for the word an open door for effective ministry Just think about these open doors in the book of Acts. Crowds who hear their own languages being spoken by strangers. Miracles being performed. Believers being arrested and positioned before officials. Uh, Prisoners being liberated. Supernatural light coming from heaven. A voice from heaven. Divine visions. Visits from angels. And just... And that's just some of the divinely appointed open doors that we find in the book of Acts. And we just heard, didn't we? We just heard how our passage this morning fits right into this same pattern, didn't we? It begins with an angel. An angel who is directing Philip into the, down to the middle of the desert into nowhere, right? The boonies, the sticks, he's way out there. He says, go out there. An angel is directing him. And he's sending him there in order to intercept a very specific chariot. Now, wait a minute. Is this Philip the Apostle? No, this is not Philip the Apostle. You may remember from Acts chapter 6 that Philip was one of the seven men who Appointed to help oversee the church's food distribution to needy widows. But Luke wants us to understand something about these seven men. He wants us to understand that God used these men in other ways as well. And so what Luke does, he highlights the expanded ministries of just two of these men. That's Stephen, Acts chapter 7... And Philip Philip will appear later again in the book. This is the main portion that we hear a little bit about how God was also using this man, Philip. But please don't miss the other earmarks of divine intervention here. Not only was it an angel directing him to a specific chariot, uh, but the Ethiopian official just happens to be reading, as soon as Philip runs up, <laughs> he just happens to be reading... The clearest messianic prophecy in the entire Old Testament. You can't get any clearer than this. This is it. Isaiah 53. This is the clearest, fullest messianic prediction in the entire Old Testament. He is reading from that. At just the right time as well, this man and Philip come upon a watering hole in the middle of the desert. Enough water for him to be baptized, for them to go down into the water and they are baptized in the middle of the desert. So again, the growth happening in the book of Acts was a result of God opening doors for the word. And God was doing this to help the first Christians fulfill the words of Jesus. He called them to go to all nations. We heard about that last time, didn't we? We heard about that mountain in Galilee in Matthew 20 where he talked about going and making disciples of all the nations. We heard about the end of Luke 24 and the beginning of Acts chapter 1 where there at the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave them another commission, another charge, saying this gospel of repentance must be preached to all nations for the forgiveness of sins. And what did he tell them last time in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? He said, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. And Judea. Judea, And then in Samaria. And even to the end of the earth. Now, wait a minute. Who has Philip met here in the desert? He has met a man who serves Kandake, and Kandake is a title rather than a name. The Kandake, there's ten at least that that reigned at Mero in modern-day Sudan of the Nubian or Kushite kingdoms. He served her in what we call today Ethiopia. Now, why is this so important? Because in those days, Ethiopia was considered the end of the earth going south. Even as far back to Homer's odyssey, he called Homer, called the Ethiopians the last of all men. Do you understand what God is doing? He is fulfilling his word through his people. God often did this because we as human beings drag our feet. Because we as human beings are often gripped By fear. Because we as human beings are often distracted and pulled away from the great mission of Jesus. And so what does God do in the book of Acts? He brings persecution and scatters his people. So that they will go and start to speak. He gives divine direction and says, I want you to go here. And though it won't be very far for you, Philip, you're going to speak to a man who's going to take it to the end of the earth. The message of Christ. Does this encourage you? To see how God was fulfilling his purposes, even in spite of our struggles, in spite of our difficulties. That's not to justify them or say, you know what, we don't have to do anything. No, 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 no. It's to encourage us that God is at work. Talk about the word increasing, as Luke was saying, and multiplying. Talk about an open door, Philip speaking to this Cushite, this Nubian official. But with that larger context of the book of Acts in mind, we also see that, second, Luke has included this account in order to demonstrate that belief, then baptism, is a right response to the Word of God. Belief, then baptism, is a right response to the Word of God. As with references to the Holy Spirit, like we talked about previously, the book of Acts talks about baptism far more than any other book in Scripture. And in fact, it's not hard at all to see this pattern here. Acts 2, Acts 8... Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 16, Acts 18, Acts 19, we see the same pattern. The, the order is clear. The gospel is preached. Listeners believe, then they are baptized. Our main passage this morning. Our main passage this morning makes this so clear in the sense that it's the Ethiopian who initiates the conversation. It's not Philip saying, oh, it's time for you to be baptized now. Philip was faithful enough to preach the word of God to him accurately. That he even understood, this man understood the place of baptism as an expression of saving faith. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the Father. Baptism was a sacramental way to do that, an ordinance given to the early church of a public testimony of one's saving faith. This man understood it just from this brief time with Philip well enough that he was enthusiastically ready, right? He was looking for the opportunity. And as soon as they came upon an oasis or a watering hole, he was the one initiating. The whole thing. There is water. Why can't I be baptized as well? Finally, there's a third reason here. We're asking again. What are we asking? We're asking why Luke included this passage of probably hundreds of stories he could have included. Why did he include this one? Well, we've talked about it so far, haven't we? He talked about the God opening doors for the word to bring his word to the ends of the earth. Where does Paul end up at the end of the book of Acts? Rome, right? No mistake. So we see that same pattern there. The second reason was to show us that belief then baptism is a right response to the word. Luke shows us that over and over and over again. But number three... There's a reason that Luke has included this story of Philip in the Ethiopian, and it's this. When God opened a door, Philip was faithful to step through it. When God opened a door, Philip was faithful to step through it. There is not even one hint of hesitation or deviation or protestation when Philip... From Philip, when God opens door after door in this story. Do you see that? When the angel directs Philip into the desert, it says what? Verse 27, he rose and went. When the Spirit directed Philip to the chariot, verse 30, so Philip ran. Ran. When the man asked about this divinely positioned passage from Isaiah, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told, them the good, told him the good news about Jesus. When water suddenly appeared in the desert, verse 28, he baptized him. And when Philip realized that he had been spiritually teleported away, in verse 40, he found himself at Azotus, Old Testament Ashdod, Old Philistine land, right? That's 30 miles up the coast from where he had been before with this man baptizing him. When he realizes this, Luke tells us that as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What a picture of faithfulness. What a picture of commitment and zeal we have in Philip this morning. Acts ...is a book full of these portraits of faithfulness. Yes, God powerfully at work. But so often, God powerfully at work through the faithfulness of his people. We we hold on to both of those, don't we? And what an encouragement for us, brothers and sisters. Friends, what an encouragement for us this morning... Shouldn't these portraits of faithfulness inspire faithfulness in us? As we read about this, think about the encouragement that God has specifically given us this morning. You are here and it's no accident. This passage was chosen and it's no accident. I'm preaching and it's no accident. I'm speaking to you and it's no accident that God has presented this word to you this morning to encourage you. To encourage you. He wants you to think about how the word of God got from there to here. And as you do that, as we said earlier, you should be astonished. But what is most astonishing is not the miles or the years or the languages or the cultures crossed. It is the way in which God Himself worked to open doors for His Word so that even you could hear. 20 centuries, 7,496 miles. Countless individuals, many, many languages and cultures, door after door being opened. How? By God. Door after door being opened by God. Now, I ask you this morning, I ask you, is this your God? Is this the God that you serve this morning? Is this him? Is this him? The God who opens doors for the gospel? Is that your God? The God active in the book of Acts? The God active still today? Is that the God whom you serve? Think about this. You sit here today... As a result of this same story. This same story. No, not in every detail, right? Uh, The divine orchestration of your salvation might not be as obvious as it was to Philip and Luke in this situation, right? I, I doubt that an angelic vision or spiritual teleportation were factors in your story. If they were, then please talk with me afterwards. I would really love to get, maybe get that testimony on tribe right away. <laughs> but even though that level of divine orchestration or that the, the obviousness of that divine orchestration, is, is, it's not as clear. Someone was moved to share the word with you. Someone came up alongside of you. Someone shared God's word. Someone pointed you to Jesus. Maybe that's me this morning. I don't know. I hope it is. But, but all of these were doors that God opened first. God himself opened these doors, including and ultimately he opened the door of your hearts. If this was the case then, if this is the case now, what does that mean? It means that today in your life, all around you, God is opening doors. Do you believe that? God is opening doors. Brothers and sisters, we don't need an angel of the Lord to appear to us in order to know when God has, in his sovereign grace, opened a door for the word. We simply need to have a heart for God, his word, and the people in our circles. And to cultivate such a heart, we need to invest our time into And and our energy into God, his word, and the people in our circles. And when we do that, then by the grace of God, through the spirit of God, we will continue to gain an ever-deepening sensitivity to God, his word, and the people in our circles. The question you should ask this morning is not, is God opening doors in my circles? No, the question is, when God opens a door, what will I do? That's what you need to ask yourself this morning. When he opens that door, where will I be? Will I be ready to respond as Philip responded here in the passage that God sovereignly gave us? To hear from this morning. Will your life be a portrait of faithfulness? So many of you already are. And have been those portraits of faithfulness. In so many ways. I love hearing from you. I love hearing about the opportunities. God has given you to share. I love hearing about your spiritual ambitions. With the people that God has placed around you. I love to hear how you are serving and blessing. I love to hear. It's so encouraging. How you're opening your homes. How you are praying. How you are blessing others in one way or another. What an encouragement to me. And I, I know to your brothers and sisters as well. But others of you have forgotten that God blessed you that you might bless others. That God, that Christ served you that you might serve others. That, that God spoke to you that you might speak to others. That Christ died on the cross and rose again to new life. That you, that I might die to ourselves and live a new life. Not for me, but for God and others. You've forgotten that. For a variety of reasons, some responses to hard situations, some very deliberate steps towards worldly compromise, many of you have turned inward. You've responded by closing doors in your life rather than stepping through the ones God is opening. You're fearful, you're distracted. You're indifferent. Maybe you're demoralized. Whatever it is, whatever the reasons, God wants you to reach out to him first this morning. He wants you to turn and confess. Some of you sit there this morning with indifference in your heart and you say, this is somebody else's job. This is somebody else's problem. It is not mine. And God says to you very clearly through his word, and his Holy Spirit this morning, repent. Repent. And you know because the Spirit of God is working on your heart this morning. And he's saying you are so caught up. You know how you're caught up in the, wor- in the worldly busyness. You know how you're caught up and you're indifferent. You've cut yourself off from people in desperate need all around you who are perishing. You have lost sight of it. The Holy Spirit, even now, is stirring you. Do you sense it? He's convicting you. And he's calling you through this sovereignly chosen passage this morning, saying, don't you see I put open doors around you? And what are you doing? You're turning on the TV again. I have put open doors around you, and what are you doing? You're pursuing this or that thing. You're throwing yourself into this. You don't need that. They need you. This is not somebody else's job. We need to repent if we think that. This is not the professional's job. This is not the trained person's job. This is not the evangelist's job. This is your job. This is my job. Do you understand this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you understand that? This is what it means to be a Christian. Oh, I'm blood-bought. I'm going to heaven, pastor. Well, great. On the way there, guess what? God has work for you to do. And it is absolutely glorious. Right? He says, I want to give you a front row seat on the transformation of a human life. I want to give you a front row seat on the liberation of someone's spirit from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Jesus. And you get the privilege of being used in a a transaction whose, whose echoes will reverberate for all eternity. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Yes. Does it sound scary? Yes. But why does he give us passages like this? Why does he give us passages like this? He gives us passages like this to say, I am with you, and I am at work, and I am opening doors, and I am going right alongside of you. In fact, your efforts have no power unless I am in them. You cannot save a life. You cannot change a heart. You cannot bring light into darkness. You cannot bring life where there is only death. God opens the doors. He is at work even now doing that. And so we need to turn. We need to repent. We need to seek him for that change. Whatever the obstacles, you might say, well, pastor, you don't know what's going on in my life. I don't maybe, but God does. And he's not saying, hey, just forget about that. Come on, get over and let's go. He's saying, take the steps that you need to one at a time to get to that place of healthiness because I've given you a picture of healthiness right here. And if your life is not being spent on others, the solution is not to go down to fries today and start banging on windows or as people get out of their car to say, here's a track, here's a whatever. It's to say, what is the next step? And then what's the next step after that? What am I busy with that I can begin to clear away? How can I begin to start praying? What am I fearful of when I talk with others? Am I too given to acceptance and the approval of others? Is that really an idol in my life? That's a step, isn't it? To deal with that. To see that idol toppled by God's grace. So that we care more about the pleasure of God than the approval of others. Amen? Amen. Step. By step by step. God is showing us here this morning. and He's calling us and saying, reach out to me, repent, let me work in you so that you can work in the lives of others. So in light of Philip's example, shouldn't all of us be regularly praying this prayer? Take a look. Father, give me a heart for the lost, eyes to see your open doors, and lips to speak as I step through them. Father, give me a heart for the lost, eyes to see your open doors, and lips to speak as I step through them. Yes, God definitely wants us to think about how the word of God got from there to here. But he also wants us to think about how the word of God will go from here to there. Through you. Through you. In your life. Through the open doors, he's providing all around us. All of us. In the very next chapter of Acts, chapter 9, there is a story of radical transformation. A story of radical transformation. A story of one reached, who then reaches others. A life changed, who then changes others others' lives. Listen to to the heart of that man, Paul. Listen to his heart for the open doors that God has provided for him, that God continues to provide for him. Listen to how full his response is to these open doors. How full of surrender and zeal and sacrifice this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all Here's Paul talking about his rights and his freedoms. We hear that a lot today, don't we? Listen to the apostle Paul talk about it. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant To all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, he says. All of it, everything, the abandonment of my rights and freedoms, convenience, comforts, ambitions, goals. I set it all aside. Why? For the gospel of Jesus. I set it all aside that some might be saved from eternal suffering. Separation. Perishing. Oh, American church. God is calling us to repent. He is calling us to repent of our selfishness of our self-centeredness, of our misplaced priorities. And he is calling us to the same heart to say, I will gladly give up I will gladly be inconvenienced. I will gladly go out of my way. I will gladly set aside my freedoms if it means that I can win someone to Christ, that I can share for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them, plural, in its blessings. He doesn't want to be alone there before the throne of Christ. He even says later in his other writings, I will be there with you. You will be my crown, right, before the throne of God. You're my joy and my praise, those that I've I've led to Christ, that I may share with them in its blessings. May God give us this same heart in light of the open doors he gives us every day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Would you pray with me?